Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, we are joined by Matthew Deemer. He's running for Congress out of Ohio's 7th District. Matthew, how are you doing today? Thank you for coming on the show. Desmond, my man, how are you doing? Good to see you again. Good, good. So let me just start off with a really basic question. You know, I ask this to a lot of people who come on the show, but I think it's a very pertinent question to ask everybody. You know, what is it that drew you to wanting to run for Congress? And why do you believe that you would be the best person to represent your district going into Washington? This literally is like the cookie cutter question that everybody always asks every candidate. And so I, w- I, I, I should be good at answering this one. Uh, but uh, and I want to just throw it back to to the listeners really quick. They probably say, uh, what do you mean again? We're on the show again. Uh, before we were doing this show right here, um, we hooked up to talk through this episode and we got to know each other a little bit so everybody's just like if you guys go back in your catalog and wondering what was the other episode i was on we, we just had a chat before this episode and we got to know each other a little bit so the why am i running and what drew me to it look um i lived abroad for a while and when i was living in china i lived in china from 2005 until 2017 and then taiwan from 17 to 19. i also did my undergrad in uh university of hawaii so uh, i was over in hawaii for about five years and, you know, through through that time, um, my mother would tell me that, you know, America is getting more and more divided, at least, you know, closer to our current time right now. And, you know, I didn't believe her. And at the same time, I saw, you know, China, you know, come from 2005 to where it is today with huge economic rise of a booming middle class uh, jobs, cities being built, infrastructure being you know, built. And um, when I got back uh, to the U.S., I saw that our middle class was being gutted. I saw that we are super divided. And um, I, I I wanted to you know try to figure out how to help in, in one way we can. And so, you know, I started working with the communities. I started to volunteer. I started to organize. And then I said, you know what? I got to jump in the race because there's a lot of things that need to get done. And I think somebody with the experience, life and professional um, and travel and international uh, experience that I have could probably uh, be a good asset in Washington, especially for Ohio 7th District. You know, it's something that I hear a lot when we, when we hear about people talking about, you know, China, for instance, we hear about manufacturing jobs and how they've been shipped over to China, other countries like Mexico, but in China in particular, and especially with a lot of the, the trade agreements that happened in the 90s, 2000s, you know, Ohio, other states in the Midwest have been gutted from these with these loss of manufacturing jobs. What does the U.S. need to do in order to bring those jobs back to this country in order to get more people better paying jobs and to, frankly, lower what is high inflation right now? Look, you said bring those jobs back. And I'm going to say that most of those jobs are not coming back. Um, And I don't think we want some of those jobs to come back. Do we want to be the sock maker of the world? I don't think we want to. Right. Uh, But there are emerging uh, new innovations um, and emerging technologies that are coming out here that are going to need a home to build, to innovate, to, um, you know, create their, you know, foothold so they can distribute globally. And that's where um, the United States comes in. So we were talking about EVs. Who's going to be making EVs? Is it going to be China? Is it going to be their batteries, their minerals, or is it going to be the United United States? Is it going to be when it comes to solar or wind, when it comes to um, 
you know, developments and in, in innovations in nuclear technology or even fusion, not fission, but fusion technology. Is that going to be the U.S. or is that going to be China? And uh, biotech, you know, like even the our, the um, the new vac vaccines that we have, uh, you know, medical advances and so on and so forth. It, I, I think that we have a choice. We have a choice to say, hey, do we want that to be produced somewhere else? Or do we want to make sure that we are encouraging these companies to come over here, set up shop, use our skilled, experienced uh, workforce, and call this home? And that's what we're—that's what I think that we need to do. And this is what I think we were, we're kind of going toward right now. If you look at the Inflation Reduction Act and their incentives uh, to buy EVs, uh, it's the $7,500 credit uh, to buy an EV uh, that fits you know, certain uh, criteria, I will argue that that 7,500 credit is not for the consumer. It is not for you and me. It's not to say, hey, you know, Desmond, let's get you a new car and get you a little bit of money off because but you don't need to incentivize buying EVs. They're flying off the shelves. There's weight orders for Teslas and Rivians and Lucids and uh, Ford F-150 Lightnings and Hummers and all these other cars that are coming out. You can't get them. What I think the incentive is for is to start incentivizing these companies to build here and only build here. So with the with the seventy five hundred dollar credit, it comes with stipulations. For example, the car the car has to be this much made in the United States, and then it, you know over the next ten years, it becomes that more and more of that car has to be made here in the U.S. More and more of that battery has to be made here in the U.S. More and more of those minerals have to be sourced here from North America. So it the incentives are aligning that we want to make the EV industry American made, American manufactured, American. Uh, distributed globally. And so I think we just need to do that with all these new industries. Space travel, for example, Elon Musk, SpaceX, uh, the the industry that could come out with tourism in space. I mean, people don't like that. They say, oh, that's like a rich person's game. But you know what? After, you know, soon, soon traveling to uh, outer space to a hotel could be a family getaway if we have enough space hotels or something like that. And I know that might be something like sci-fi for a lot of people, but Again, it will happen. And where do you want that rocket to be built? I want it to be built, be built here in Ohio. Where do I want uh, those uh, hotels capsules to be built? I want it to be, be built here in Ohio. And, and where do I want that revenue to go to when people are spending and taking those flights? And I want it to come back here to Ohio's 7th District. And so when you said, uh, how do we get those manufacturing jobs back? We don't, for the most part. We incentivize new industries and new innovations to set up shop here. And then we control, or not control, let's say, but we have the footprint of these massive new companies producing these new innovations of technology that are going to be driving the late 21st to 22nd century in the United States. So when, I, when people hear about this, you know, typically... You know, as of right now, jobs are not scarce. You know, we are in a time where jobs are booming. In fact, you know, employers around the country are having a hard time filling certain jobs. So unlike, you know, the climate that was a decade ago, if you were to say like, oh, we're going to get these jobs, you know, like people are like, oh, well, we have jobs right now. What we really need are better paying jobs, jobs that allow us to have only one job and not have to have two or three jobs. Now, what is the government's role? in allowing these new jobs that we were just talking about to actually being higher paying, you know, more equal, have better benefits so that people can feel secure in the job that they're getting. And do you support labor unions at all? 
I 100% uh, support labor unions. And so here's what I think it is, is one is we have to start, we have to make the trades sexy again. Trades are, are great paying jobs. Look, we have a new um, uh, microchip factory, semiconductor factory coming over here outside of Columbus. It's said to employ or need to employ 7,000 skilled laborers uh, to help get that place built. You're not going to be able to find those just in Ohio. You're going to be importing a lot of some, a lot of labor, a lot of you know specialty skills from all over the the surrounding areas to come into Ohio to get this place built. Um, they said that the the jobs are going to pay anywhere from 125 to 150 thousand dollars a year, and so there's your incentive. You see that those jobs are there. We see that there's factories coming and being uh you know coming and being built all over the US when it comes to new battery plants or solar plants or this semiconductor plant. And they're gonna continue to come because we've seen that there are supply chain issues. We saw, we know that we cannot rely on China or Taiwan or Japan or South Korea to you know, get some of those high tech, high, you know, um, very skilled and uh, precise equipments. Um, and so we need to have them here. So we need to make the trade sexy again, make sure, get people to go into, you know, be an electrician, a carpenter, uh, uh, you know, a bricklayer, what, whatever is there to, to, you know, have those trades again. Also, we need to, you know, incentivize uh, the, the those those specialties in the, of a, uh, of emerging and innovative technologies and get people to go through those kind of courses as well. And so I think that if we allow the market to, to basically, if we allow the market to show you what we want and the government comes over here and helps out by saying, Let's promote this. Let's make this, you know, a thing. Let's make sure that we are promoting this new emergence, this renaissance of American innovation and manufacturing. I think that the people will go and get those jobs and not be just try to be a, a lawyers, you know, because that's the pie paying job. I think they're going to go this way. And then your question was about unions. I think unions and labor is part of the free market. And I think that it's forgotten that it is a lot of the time. That is about the negotiation. You, If you as a company, if I'm a business owner and I'm on the supply uh, supply side of it, I'm negotiating with my suppliers and my shippers and whatever, like constantly trying to find the best price, trying to, you know, and they're trying to do the same thing with me, try to get the same, uh, the best price for me as well. And that's how that works. Now with labor, for some reason, we don't allow, allow that communication. We don't allow that communication between employees with themselves. We don't allow it between the uh, employees and the company, the employees together at, you know, communicating as a team against the company or with the company or with, you know, any other aspect of their, their job when it comes to their, 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 their uh, hours or their benefits or their time off or their vacation. It's almost like a take it and leave it. And I think that is a, I don't think that that is actually free market. And so we need to protect the right to organize, the right to communicate, and the right uh, of the worker to negotiate their pay. And if you do that and it is free, it is totally free, then I think that those good paying jobs that provide pensions and good health care and great vacations, and you get back to that one family income level that we were at before. All right. So I definitely want to ask you a little bit more about trade schools, you know, and, you know, like what exactly we need to do to be funding them and how that kind of ties into the conversations around colleges. And, you know, obviously with Biden just recently giving that student loan relief uh, for those who had, you know, ten right. or $20,000 worth of debt. But before we do all that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have more questions with our candidate. Please stay tuned.
Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at BathingBeautiesBeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So before we went on the break, we were talking about trade schools, college debt that was just forgiven. You know, let me ask you this in a, in a two-prong way. You know, first off, when we're having this conversation re- like nationally, you know, President Biden just forgave, you know, between 10 to $20,000 worth of student loan like forgiveness for people who were, had outstanding debt. There was a lot of frenzy about it around the country saying it's only affected a, a portion of the population. People were saying we need to be incentivizing people away from college anyway, because degrees mean less and less. We need to be going after trade schools. You know, like I'm in the frame mind of myself that I think that we can do both, that we can, you know, kind of help people get through college and promote trade schools. But where do you fall on this? Like, what should we be doing, you know, with colleges and trade schools? And also, let me get you to say this. Did you agree with President Biden for giving the student loans? Okay, so there's two questions there. What should we do, be doing about the schools um, and trade schools? How do we promote that? And do I agree with President Biden for giving the loans? That is, for the President Biden question, I'm going to give a two-part answer. Number one, I am 100% stoked that people got 10000 or 20000 off uh, their student loans. And some of them are just totally wiped out because they had just only $10,000. And I think that's, what, 20 million uh, people. And I, so... I, I want to say that I am not in the camp, and I think that it's a horrible argument and a weak argument to say, well, some people paid off their loans, so why are these people getting, you know, and I think that's just a weak argument. Grow up, uh, <laughs> be happy for those people. I'm very happy for those people. With that said, I don't totally agree with it. Actually, I, I don't agree with it because I don't think it solves the under, underlining issues. The underlying issues that, you know, um, colleges are too expensive. Uh, if you look at the highest paid, and I just actually looked at this uh couple of days ago, don't quote me on any of these numbers, but uh, I, the general idea of it was 
the highest paid person in uh, for, uh, for public institutions are football coaches in, in colleges it's or true. presidents of co- colleges, yeah. right? And so we have the the wrong incentives when it comes to universities. You know, we have the wrong, the, and now we're incentivizing. I think another wrong thing when it comes to universities, we're not cutting off the you know making sure that we're figuring out how to keep the prices down. Uh, we're we're not allowing bankruptcy as well. So you know this debt is just burdened with you forever. Um, we are not. Um, long story short, is I don't think that we're we're, we're fixing the problem. We're just putting a bandaid over it. And I would, and since this is an executive order, and this is something that he just, you know, he did, I think that he can also do uh, some problem solving when it comes to this. So I'm happy for the people who got their loans forgiven, but now can we have an executive order to make sure that we try to fix this, or we put some, you know, a, you know, maybe some uh, criteria on this executive order to, you know, make sure that we're fixing this problem. Uh, so that's my biggest issue with it. It doesn't solve the problem and it incentivizes the wrong things back to uh, the schools how do we get people to go to trade schools and what can we do that's i think where we come in when we when we talk about um making schools and degrees cheaper look we have we, we talk about you know trade schools and shortages with uh in the trades we also have a police shortage we also have a teacher shortage uh, we have shortages in a lot of different industries truck driver shortage right what is the biggest goal for the United States right now? And I think that we have to have a very big national discussion about that. And maybe the president needs to lead that discussion. Where do we see ourselves in 10, 20, 50 years? And what do we do to incentivize that growth in 50 years? Do we just like let the, just throw it to the breeze? Or do we see see that there's specific specific paths that we need to take? China has been on a, spe- a specific path this whole time to try to do a couple of things. One, create a big economy. Two, not to be dependent on any nation outside of China. And three, unify China. They're they're they're, they're trucking on. Everybody says that there's a lot of things going on in China with uh, their economy messed up and their housing bubble and uh, zero COVID and stuff like that. I promise you they're going to continue going uh, through this goal, in the, even though there's bumps in the road right now. How are we doing it? And I think that's where these schools come in. We should be incentivizing and offering a free write off of your education if you do these certain things that we are looking for in the in the United States right now. Do we need more STEM? Absolutely. Here, you do uh, some kind of science or engineering, uh, and then you work in either uh, work in a certain industry. We'll forgive your loans. We need teachers. Here, go be a teacher. Get get your degree, get your master's, and then work as a teacher ten years. We forgive your loan. Um, we need we need uh, you know truck drivers. Truck driving school is free. Go over there. We will forgive your. We will write that off for you. We need you know all these different things. So if we want to incentivize certain industries and we need that kind of uh, skill and that labor in those th- those jobs filled, I think that we should be looking at this as hey, how do we want to pro- you know progress as a nation? Where do we see ourselves in fifty years, twenty maybe even fifty years, and then incentivize those jobs and that training and that education um to match yeah no that makes perfect sense and you know i, I think when it comes down to it, you know, people talking about different jobs right now and like levels of pay this that and the other a lot of people are looking at the current climate about you know 
you know, some people talk about like, you know, corporations and about how they aren't paying people enough. And there are people right now are struggling in the state economy because they're asked to be, they're being asked to do more, but they're not being compensated for that extra work. Now, some people have been saying that we need to rein corporations in by kind of breaking them up or by, you know, raising taxes, or maybe on one end, we were trying to like raise the minimum wage. But, you know, there's a bunch of different ideas floating around. But the bottom line is that people are trying to figure out how to get these companies to pay their workers more because they're just not paying them according to the cost of living right now. Now, as someone who's trying to enter into the halls of Congress, what is the government's job here in order to get companies to be paying people more? And do you believe that this current Congress is doing enough, uh, you know, in that regard? I don't think that it is up to Congress. I, again, I think that this is a free market. Then again, let's go back to the labor question. As like, how do we, is it actually free? Is the labor market free? Are you just free to move from job to job? Are you free to talk to your job and organize that job and that labor to talk, talk about what does a good pay mean for that industry or that job? Um, if Amazon is union busting, but they're still getting, you know, billions of dollars of profit, I, 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 what worker, what worker do you know that's working in Amazon, no matter if you're making 15 bucks an hour or not, is looking at the profits going like, this is built around us, the worker, the people who are delivering this, the people who are packing the boxes, the people who are, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. And so if they don't have the freedom in this free market to organize and discuss and negotiate, then yes, of course, they're going to have low wages. So I personally think that the what Congress should do and I think that this also ties back into my last one is I want to make sure that we're not incentivizing destroying the markets and, and making sure that because what we are going to see right now is we have to make the markets lead themselves. We need um, labor, skilled labor to build a semiconductor plant. People are going to go into uh, the trades to make sure that they try to capitalize on those jobs. They're going to pay $100,000, $150,000 a year um, coming out as electrician, Right. We want to help him hurry that up. So then we can say, hey, free free school if you guys go do that. Because the market is already driving that way. And people are going to go into that. But we want to further push and incentivize. With When it comes to labor and what the what the wage is going to be, this is how late the, the wages were uh, were set back in the day. Is people just said, I'm not working until I get good, good pay. Right? And they were allowed to do that. And so I think that the government needs to Make sure that freedom of organized labor is part of the deal. And I promise you that the workers will come up and, and they will fight and get the wages that they deserve. Okay. And, you know, I, I think just tying back into, you know, this question one more time, and, and I think this will probably be the, the final question I have here for you. We talk about bringing these new jobs like into America. One of the things you had referenced was, you know, like electric cars. And, you know, this is something that I think is a lot more appealing right now because we just had a summer where gas prices ballooned, you know, to over like $5 a gallon nationally. And it kind of just, it sparked the conversation back and forth. Like one side was saying we need to be drilling more for oil. Another side was saying like, see, this is the reason why we need to be transitioning away from gasoline. Where, where do you think we should be at right now? Like, do you think that we should be doubling down on fossil fuel production, you know, to make sure that gas prices don't get that high again? Or was what happened this summer a clear sign that we need to be in, investing more into green energy and just transitioning away from fossil fuels so we don't have to be dependent on them anymore in the future? I need. To, I think we need to walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, we need to be independent, energy independent. And if the fastest way to do that right now is with fossil fuels, then we do it with fossil fuels. We should not be talking to OPEC. We shouldn't be worried about what's happened in, in, in Russia. We shouldn't be worried about any of that. 
Uh, we have the one of the biggest land areas of a country in the world with so many resources and so many climates and a hell of a lot of skilled and motivated people. We should be 100% energy independent. If it's fossil fuels now, and then we and then we uh, uh, wait for the green um, energy industry to catch up, so we can start, you know, implementing that. Then we implement that. If we can implement the green energy industry now in certain places that are sunnier, for example, or windier, for example, or or you know has water, for example, then we implement that. But we need to be energy independent right now. And I don't think that, yeah, that no, full stop. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I think, you know, not, actually this has me like have one last question here for you. And you are running in the state of Ohio. This state yes, has, this state has flipped between red and blue over the last 10 years. So it's, it's a very purplish area. And I think you're also in a very purple district from what I could see. So in that climate, being a Democrat right now in a year where, you know, Democrats are kind of like, not doing as bad as they were, but they're still kind of treading water a little bit. How do you how do you pitch yourself as a Democrat to your district and to the people of your state that the Democratic Party is actually the right party to be leading the country into the into the next, you know, well, into the future, basically? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I, I call myself an independent Democrat and I don't want to link myself to um, uh, to any party, to be honest with you. And that and that's because we need to have independent thought. We need to be voting for people, not for party. We need to put policy over politics. Um, so when I talk to people and they say, "Oh, well, you're a Democrat," I say, first of all, if I could run for as an independent, get on the ballot, and actually, you know, uh, win in Ohio, I would. But you can't. The two party system has you got me locked out. So I had to choose either a Republican or a Democrat. I could be easily be a moderate Republican. I tell people this all the time. I can easily be a moderate Republican. I'm a moderate Democrat. I want to be an independent. I want to be something in the middle where I can take all of my ideologies and put into a party that I believe in. And, it, and honestly, it's not some of the Democrats, and it's not definitely not some of the Republican Party as well, right? And so I don't, I don't think so. The only thing I tell everybody that I, when I'm running is that I am running to one unify the the conversation here in Ohio seventh to create solutions, to bring people to the table. The first thing I'm going to do when I get into Washington is I'm going to call the Republican Party and I'm going to call the Democrat Party and the lead, city leaders of every city in the district. And I'm going to say, let's set up a meeting. Let's get everybody in the same room. And you guys tell me what I can do for you in Washington. And yes, somebody's going to yell about this. And yes, somebody's going to yell about this. And yeah, they're going to blame this side and that side. And I'm going to be right in the middle. I'm going to take it all in. I'm going to be like, calm down. <laughs> let's find a solution what works for you and i'm gonna take that to the next city and i'm gonna take that to the next city and then i'm gonna take that to washington dc and they're not and i'm not going to vote party lines i'm not going to vote uh uh you know my own uh, ideas and just kind of be like a little president or a dictator over here i'm going to vote the solutions of the district and the only way we can do that is for somebody to come in and create those solutions um, and and I'm talk about the solutions and and operate in a way that isn't just, you know, that side bad, that side good. And so um, I don't know if it's a Democrats that leads for the future. I don't know if it's a different change in the Republican Party. There is a fraction in the Republican Party I see out there on the street every day. There is the uh, MAGA Trump uh, Republican Party. And there's Republican Party Republicans out there going like, what happened to my party? Um, so 
and then there's the the same thing that's happening in the Democrat Party as well with the progressives and a lot of Democrats that remember like JFK Democrats, you know. So again, just to you know answer your question, I do not play the party game. I play the let's make sure we are creating the best solutions for the district for the people game. And if I firmly believe that if I can do that and communicate that I am doing that and, and demonstrate that I'm doing that in a practical way, then I will be a very successful congressperson. And if I do not do that, I will be just like every other congressperson where half of their district either hates me or half of their district loves me in swing districts. Or if you're an all blue district, then you don't, you're just going to live in your seat until you die. So uh, that's the way I'm, <laughs> that's the way I'm looking at it. All right. Well, Matthew, I appreciate you coming on the show today, you know, taking the time to tell us about you and your platform, what you want to do for Washington. Where can people uh, learn more about you and your campaign online? And when does early voting start in Ohio? Well, you can go to deemerforcongress.com. That's D-I-E-M-E-R for congress.com. Uh, you can check out my platform there. You can check out some videos we have around the district. You can check out campaign videos. You can learn about my background, my history, my stories. It's all up there. I, I I call myself the most transparent candidate that is running out there today because I put it all up online. Um, I put my financials for the campaign online. Let, let me talk. Let me, let's talk about one thing really quick. What is transparency? A lot of people think transparency is just because you can ask for the records is transparent, like public records. I personally believe that transparency means it's accessible and easy to find. And so that's why I have a tab on my website that says, hey, you want to look at what our campaign's spending money on, how much we raised? Boom, you click that tab, you can read it all day. You want to know uh, my financial disclosures? What about Matthew? What stocks do I own? Do I own any Bitcoin? <laughs> or do, I, do I have student loan debt or do I not have student loan debt? Click that tab, it'll straight, take you straight to it. And I think that's what we're missing. Is not that people say that these are transparent, is the accessibility of one-click buttons for people to find this information. So that's on my website as well. And also there's the donation button. We always need money to run these two campaigns. I am 100% for campaign finance reform, asking people, average people for money after they pay taxes all year round and, and send it to the government to go ask them for more money to run for office, I think is absolutely a sham. I think the amount of money in politics is a sham. It's 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 ridiculous, it's crazy, it's disgusting. Unless we could change that system, uh, I'm still going to need a couple bucks. So, so I, I would appreciate donations. Right. And uh, when is early voting starting in Ohio? Oh, October 12th. October 12th. Perfect. So we will have those links that you just referenced in the episode description. And if you are in the state of Ohio, make sure that you're registered to vote and make sure you go out and vote early. And for everyone who came out and listened to this episode today, thank you so much. We will see you in the next episode. Take care. All right. Thank you, sir.